You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans of the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from Talk Sport, your one stop shop to review all of the best weekend Premier League action alongside me, Alex Crook, and the former Republic of Ireland midfielder Matt Holland, European football expert and Liverpool superfan Kevin Hatchard as Manchester United are humiliated by their arch-rivals. But it's back to the drawing board for Manchester United after this performance. I don't know where they go, what direction they take, but the United supporters will not take this every single week. Manchester United nil, Liverpool 5. Paul scores were brutally honest the other night, and he was bang on the money. If you got play like that against Liverpool, you're going to get smashed. Also this week, seventh heaven for Chelsea, as the Canaries have the stuffing knocked out of them again. A Friday fright night for Villa, Rafa dethroned by a returning king, and Burnley still can't win. All that on the podcast that's as acrobatic as a Callum Wilson bicycle kick. It's the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Now, you may have noticed by now there's no Sam Matterface this week. He's on a jolly with Perry Groves in Manchester while the rest of us are slaving away late on a Sunday night. Outrageous, Matt Hollands. It's a disgrace. Absolute disgrace, Crookie. I'm starting a petition to give you the job full time. I think we get a lot of people signing out for that. Kevin Hatchard is here as well, looking as smug as a smug thing after events (laughs) at Old Trafford. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Do you know what I thought of? I thought of one of my lowest moments as a Liverpool fan, which was leading in the FA Cup at Old Trafford. And then those two goals right at the end, including a strike from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, to turn that game around. So I thought that was the low moment. And my high moment, perhaps, uh, in terms of games against Manchester United involves Solskjaer as well. And uh, I was delighted to see his reaction afterwards. But we're going to go into it. But, mate, one of the worst displays in a kind of top six versus top six battle in the Premier League I think I've ever seen. The game itself has finished Manchester United near Liverpool 5. Goals from Naby Keita, Jota and a hat-trick from Mo Salah who was absolutely outstanding today but it's back to the drawing board for Manchester United after this performance. I don't know where they go, what direction they take but the United supporters will not take this every single week. Games against um, Aston Villa. Uh, we've got Villarreal, Everton. There's no football whatsoever. O- Ollie's lost the plot and the team are not playing for him now. If Ollie loves this club as much as he says he does, resign. This is the top game for us. Top game. And he's locked OK. Whoever's in charge, there's no guarantees that United can ever get back to what they achieved under Sir Alex Ferguson. But this is not good enough. You what? know, th- th- this is 
This is an ultimate low for me since Ferguson left. We're, we're all low. I can't say now that uh, I've felt any worse than this because this this is the worst I've been, the lowest I've, I've been. And uh, as I, But as I've said, I accept the responsibility and that's uh, that is mine today and it's mine going forward. United's biggest ever defeat at home to Liverpool. It's their first 5-0 defeat at Old Trafford since losing by the same scoreline to Manchester City in 1955. I guess the burning question, Matt Holland, and you've been a, a big advocate of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, is how can he survive this? Great question. I'm not sure is the honest answer to that now. Um, yeah, I have. I've, I have been a backer of Solskjaer. I think since he arrived at the club, I think he's done a lot of good things. And... Um, <laughs> This season, it's it's been a, on paper a relatively easy start as well, but the displays have just been poor right from the right from the off. Um, I think last season actually they were helped a little bit by the, the lack of a crowd because they're not a pressing team, Man United, and they're happy to sit back, soak up pressure, and hit on the counter attack, and it worked for them last season. This year, with the crowds inside the stadium, there's a bit more of a uh, an expectancy really on them to to go forward and play at a tempo and try and press teams, but they don't know when to do it. They don't know who should be pressing. They don't know when they should be pressing. There's no organisation. And right now I find it really difficult to back him. I'm, I'm sort of edging towards your camp, the, the Ollie out camp. I have, I, I've been hopeful that he can turn it around and, and can get United back to the level, but they are so far behind Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool that I find it really difficult to, to keep backing him. I think what was interesting uh, being on air as events unfolded at Old Trafford on Sunday night was, as I've mentioned before, the majority of match-going United fans have been in, in Matt's camp, Kevin. They've been ollie in. They know he's a club legend. He scored that iconic goal in the European Cup final. A lot of people left the ground early. Uh, we had a reporter outside the ground. Those that did leave the ground early, I think, were starting to come round to my way of thinking, if you like, that maybe... Ollie isn't up for the job. We had a lot of callers saying the same on the boot room on Sunday night. As he starts to lose the support of those match-going supporters and the Glazer family, absentee as they are, will have seen the television pictures with fans streaming out down to Matt Busby Way long before the final whistle. That makes his position almost untenable, doesn't it? That's before you even get into how the players actually performed on the pitch for him. Well, if you look at the way that they've acted in the past, generally they've only tended to pull the trigger if they think they're not going to qualify for the Champions League. That, that's generally been the red button. You know, you know, if they feel they're not going to get the riches of the Champions League, then they act. Obviously, it's too early in the season to say that. We've talked a lot on this show and elsewhere on TalkSport about Solskjaer's inadequacy in terms of his tactical nous. That's clear. That's been clear in other games. It was brutally exposed here. The pressing, I think, is key. And the reason I think it's key is because if we take Jaden Sancho, for example, now Jaden hasn't performed in the way that we know he can. I, I am I'm his biggest defender, as you know, but even I would accept that we haven't seen the real Jaden Sancho so far. However, what's really interesting is that he's come from an environment uh, Borussia Dortmund, where every pressing trigger is drilled into the players relentlessly. You go when this happens. And at the moment, without the ball, I don't know what Manchester United are. There doesn't seem to be a plan. They go piecemeal. I mean, look at the first goal. 
Wan Bissaka's out of position, Greenwood's out of position, and the whole flank just opens up. And what you find with the pressing game is that, and Matt will tell you this, once one gets it wrong or two get it wrong, if the rest of them don't, don't then follow up, the whole thing falls apart. And nowadays, I feel pressing's more important than ever. I think coaches are paying more attention to it maybe than ever. It's been a part of the game for decades. It's not a new thing. But now the teams that do it really, really well are impeccable. Liverpool are one of those. Manchester City's press has been fantastic at times under Pep Guardiola. So that just shows you the deficiencies there. However, a coach cannot legislate for effectively Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw bumping into each other for a goal. That's just poor play. It's just atrocious play at this level. Now, I don't want to single those guys out, but it just shows you the lack of confidence, the lack of cohesion, the feeling of panic in there. But if we broaden this out beyond the coach, the recruitment is wrong. It's crying out for a dominating central midfielder. United have resources. Why couldn't they go out and get one? So that's a major problem. I always hear about, oh, yes, but we're turning it around slowly. We need a couple more transfer windows. No, no, no. This is Manchester United, one of the biggest football clubs in the world with really deep pockets, really deep pockets. Why have they not been able to turn this around quicker? And why do they have a completely dysfunctional squad? It's interesting that Kev mentioned uh, Maguire there. I mean, he was an absolute accident waiting to happen all afternoon. Possibly he's still not fully fit, but I think his confidence looks shot away as well. But his post-match comments, Matt, now watching with no sound on in the studio, I thought, well, fair play. Harry Maguire is is coming out and taking responsibility and, and speaking to the fans and apologising for what was a disastrous afternoon. But actually, he said during that interview, I'm only here because I have to be. I mean, they're ill-judged comments, really, by by Harry Maguire. You have a responsibility as a captain of a football club to front up when things aren't going well. I've been there. It's not a nice place to be. I was relegated at Anfield. All I wanted to do was get off the pitch, go to the dressing room, speak to my family, speak to my teammates uh, and hide away, really. But I had to do an interview on the side of the pitch and front it up. And unfortunately, that's your job as captain. And and Harry Maguire's comments, I think, are, are ill-judged. His form has been awful right from the, the off this season. Um, they've rushed him back for the Leicester game. He's not looked fit. Uh, Lindelof's powder puff alongside him. Uh, I, I mean... <laughs> Look, the coach, the coach as well, in terms of being critical about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you can be critical about the team that he picked today. He picked the same team that struggled against Atalanta in midweek. You know, he's saying, oh, we did a lot of good things. Yeah, they did some good things against Atalanta, but they were missing five or six of their best players, Atalanta. And, and so he picked the same team in that game. And, you know, they were, they were exposed in that one and they're exposed heavily today. Talking about the press or don't press you know, the pressing, you either press as a team or you don't press at all. Now, United haven't got the players to press, I don't think. They don't know when to press. They don't know who to press. They don't know where to press. Even in the first, Kev talked about that first goal. Greenwood started the press and he showed him outside where there's no one, 
where Aaron Wan-Bissaka is sort of 20 yards behind him. Then he makes a bad decision by going to close it down and it just follows on. And, and so no one really knows what they're doing. So the coach can be criticised for that. Just going back to Harry Maguire, lastly, you know, he has a responsibility as captain and and those those comments, for me, totally ill-judged. I think the omission of Paul Pogba, again, raised a lot of eyebrows. That McTominay-Fred partnership in front of the back four clearly isn't working. But then he comes on, Paul Pogba, he gives away a goal, and then he makes a tackle for me that is completely brainless. I don't know what he's doing in, in that area of the pitch. He was never going to win the ball. It smacked of me as of someone who was frustrated at being left out of the starting lineup, someone who maybe has lost a bit of faith in the manager and absolutely let his team and the supporters down. We talked about United's shortcomings, Kev. We could be here all night and, and keep analysing those. But Liverpool were ruthless. We've become accustomed to that. Mohamed Salah at the moment is in sensational form. The first away player to score a hat-trick at Old Trafford since Ronaldo uh, was given a standing ovation playing for Real Madrid some 18 years ago. From a Liverpool perspective, and a lot of people overlooked them at the start of the season. It, all the talk was of Manchester City and Chelsea in a two-horse title race. How big a statement was this from Jurgen Klopp's side? Massive statement. And frighteningly, I actually think Liverpool can play better. I, I think having made quite a, an open start, Bruno Fernandes had the first chance and I thought it was a really good chance. Uh, Liverpool obviously struck twice, but even then there was a period in the game at 2-0 where I thought Liverpool didn't have the control that they would have wanted. I mean, this sounds like nitpicking, but this is exactly what Jurgen Klopp said after the game. I think we can play better. He said, I'll cut the goals off and I'll look at the rest of the game and see exactly how well I think we played. I think they'll play better this season and not have that kind of headline-grabbing result. What we are seeing with Liverpool compared to Manchester United, is a very carefully built squad uh, over, you know, over a, a fair amount of time, truth be told, but very carefully built squad with an impeccable elite coach who choreographs everything, whether it's defensive, in midfield or in attack. All of the stuff that looks off the cuff, all of the stuff that looks spontaneous from Liverpool is very carefully planned. Obviously, there is, uh, you know, a certain amount of leeway, but generally they attack with a plan. And I think we saw that today. I think they created overloads at the right time. I think they exploited that press when Manchester United tried it. Just one more thing about Solskjaer. And of course, I always want to, you know, (laughs) kind of uh, talk up Liverpool. But I do want to mention this about Solskjaer. This is the difference now between a good coach and an elite coach. A good coach cannot deal with it when you get given a top-class player, one of the greatest players in Cristiano Ronaldo, but he cannot then find a way to change what was his system, to change what was his style of play. And that's why one of the reasons they're all at sea, because Ronaldo just does not fit with what they were doing. An elite coach deals with that situation and says, okay, this is not really what I wanted necessarily, but I now have to find solutions. Solskjaer simply isn't capable of doing that, I don't believe. Well, when top takes on bottom, there is usually only one outcome. 
usually. Here's Callan Hodson-Odoi towards the edge of the area. Right-footed cross, it's behind Mount. Comes back to Jorginho, who flicks it to one side. Mount gets it right-footed into the net and scores. He said he wanted to get on the score sheet. It was about time, and it's only taking him seven minutes this afternoon. Here's Hudson-Odoi, released from the back of Kabak, into the area, slides it past the goalkeeper, and in for a second Chelsea goal. Very quick. Lightning fast counter-attack for Chelsea down the left side. Chelsea now at walking pace, sauntering forward, slowly onto Rhys James inside the area, chips it over the goalkeeper and in. Oh, what a terrific finish by Rhys James. Brilliant goal, made in Cobham. Now Kovacic, edge of the D, space out wide for Chilwell, who's inside the box. He scored again! Ben Chilwell goal. It's four in four for Ben Chilwell in the Premier League. Thiago, and then Thiago Silva works out towards the left-hand side. Now Kovacic comes steaming forward. On the outside is Hudson-Odoi, low ball through the penalty area. It's missed by Braun, it's snuck in. It's a terrible goal to concede on a terrible afternoon for Norwich City. It's aimed in towards the near post, fisted away by Krull, comes back to Kovacic, then back to Rudiger, hands went up, surely that's a penalty. Mason Mount from the second attempt from the spot, steps up, right-footed, Abda straight down the middle past Krull. It's 6-0 now, and he celebrates in front of the goalkeeper, runs up in front of the Matthew Harding stand, and scores Chelsea's latest goal. 6-0 Chelsea. Oh, that's a brilliant ball round the corner by Ziyech onto Loftus-Cheek. He's got three waiting in the centre. He's overrun it. Mount for the hat-trick in seven. Mount slides it in. Eight yards from goal. Chelsea have seven. And Mount is in heaven. Chelsea seven. S-E-V-E-N. Norwich nil. It was a wonderful tribute to Matthew Harding before kickoff. I think he would certainly have approved of the Chelsea performance. We'll come on to them, but I do want to put a bit of focus on Norwich. Um, and I know at Talk Sport, we spent a lot of time talking about Norwich this season. Hasn't gone down particularly well with supporters and celebrity fans in Norfolk. But what about this, Matt Holland? Their last 19 Premier League games, they've lost 17, they've drawn two, no wins. Three goals scored. If they keep collecting points or not collecting points at the current ratio, they will finish the season with eight. Derby currently the worst team statistically in Premier League history with 11. It's all very well and good. Daniel Farker coming out to Sam Matterface after the game and saying we're a self-funding club. It was a bad day at the office. Is it getting to the stage now where this self-funding club mantra is almost giving Farker and his players an excuse because it was a terrible performance from Norwich. I was at the game actually, and um, Chelsea were outstanding. They were brilliant. And just quickly on, on Chelsea, because we've just talked there about a good coach and an elite coach. Thomas Tuchel is an elite coach. You said there, no Lukaku, no Werner. You find a solution. They found a solution. They played Havertz as a false nine, Mount and Hudson-Odoi just off him. And they were absolutely outstanding. And actually, do you know what? It reminded me of a Man City performance, the way they played with the false nine and the inverted wingbacks. Chilwell and Reese James both came narrow, dragged in the uh, Norwich wingbacks to isolate the two wider players, Mason Mount and Hudson-Odoi, with the wider centre-halves for Norwich. And they exposed Norwich brilliantly. So first of all, Chelsea were outstanding. 
As an ex-Ipswich man, I'm always conscious of sticking the boot in on, on Norwich. But You're going to do it anyway. But <laughs> I am going to do it because it was the most inept performance I think I've seen in the Premier League for a very long time. And, and that's including United's performance today at, at Old Trafford. They were so far off it, it's frightening. They didn't get tight to Chelsea once. They didn't close anyone down. They didn't, they, it was like there was no effort. It's like they turned up just expecting to get beat. And I mean, look, there's ways of getting beat. There's always a way of getting beat. You know, you go somewhere against the best teams and you, you know, there was no expectation on Norwich to go and get a result at the European champions. Of course there wasn't, but there's a way of losing games and they just tiptoed their way to defeat. It was, it was an embarrassing performance from them. And um, I actually watched that and feared for the manager, Daniel Farker. He's, he's had a couple of chances now. He's, he's done brilliantly in the championship He's, it's a different way of playing though in the Premier League. The majority of matches in the Championship, they had 70% of the ball. They had Buendia and Campwell buzzing around and getting on the ball, Pookie scoring goals. In the Premier League, the likelihood is they're going to have 30% of the ball. And there's, it's just the way it is in, in the Premier League, or less of the ball anyway. And he's got to adapt. He's got to change. He's got to find a way. Matthias Norman was, was decent in the second period, but bar him, they were absolutely appalling. And Farker's own record in the Premier League as a manager is lamentable as well. I was speaking to a Leeds fan actually earlier because Leeds played Norwich next. I said, is it home or away? He said, it doesn't matter. We could play them on Mars and we'll definitely win. They are in real danger of becoming the worst team the Premier League has ever seen. Let's talk about Chelsea, Kev. I know you're a big fan of, of Kai Havertz. I was one of a number of people, I think, around the globe that captained him knowing that he would play up front in their fantasy football. Amiga, six points. Uh, was the return. I nearly put in Mason Mount as well. I'm kicking myself for that. He was challenged by Thomas Tuchel before the game to show that he could step up and replace the likes of Lukaku. Did he do that? Yeah, I think some nice touches. I mean, obviously, the thing about Kai is that he can play in a number of different positions. He's strong enough to play that centre-forwards role. He can play, he can protect the ball. He can play with his back to goal. Sometimes I think he suffers from the fact that he can do all of these roles and is happy to do all of these roles. And so he doesn't necessarily always play in the same position. I know people think that he's had a bit of a hangover after scoring the winning goal in that Champions League final. I understand that. I understand why people want world-class performances all the time. But he's still a very young man. And you look at what he's achieved already. You know, he scored a winner in a Champions League final against Manchester City or one of the best teams in Europe. So that's been a massive boost for him. I still think there's a lot to come from him. I don't think he's anywhere near his top level right now. I would admit that. But there is so much to his game that in Germany, they called him a mix between Michael Balak and Mesut Ozil. And I totally understand what they mean with that because he has... The vision of Ozil, he has the technique of Ozil, but he can attack the ball in the air. He can be that guy who bursts into the box like Michael Balak. And he has one of the perfect coaches for him in Thomas Tuchel who will challenge him, who will teach him. And I think he's going to get better and better and better. So I think the best of Kai Havertz is still to come. Uh, Mason Mount once again showing just how valuable he is for Chelsea. His first ever Premier League hat-trick. So many congratulations to him. And there were some big scores at the weekend. We talked about Liverpool getting five at Old Trafford. Chelsea hitting Norwich for seven already. 
Watford, uh, maybe the most unlikely high scorers. They beat Everton by five goals to two. Matt, it was their first ever win at Goodison Park. What a difference a week makes for Claudio Ranieri. What, what's changed from losing 5-0 against one Merseyside club to putting five past the other? Well, I can't imagine it's ever happened before. You concede five at home one week and then go away and score five away from home. I can't imagine that's ever happened in the Premier League before. You might know better than me on that. Uh, what has changed? Wow. I mean, look, it didn't look likely, did it? I mean, what, they scored four goals in 14 minutes? is something ridiculous. Um, Josh King back to haunt his former employees. Didn't get a start at Everton and, and then goes and scores a, a hat-trick. They missed Decore in midfield, Everton. I think he's been excellent so far this season. I think his, his energy and his... his um, uh, I think he's been absolutely terrific in there. So I think they missed him. And of course, they're missing they're missing a focal point up top. They are missing Calvert-Lewin and they are missing Richarlison. Richarlison came on and scored within minutes of, of being on the pitch. So that's been a problem for, for them. Um, crikey, it's, it's frightening really to know what, what, what happened to them because they gave up so many opportunities to Watford. It, it was incredible. You know, they're bombing forward and they were, they were so often there were two against four at the back. It was frightening. One of my favourite stats of the weekend, Kev, involves uh, Joshua King, who clearly was on a mission to prove Everton wrong for not playing him last season and then letting him go on a free transfer. His last four Premier League goals have come at Goodison Park for two different teams, neither of them Everton, despite (laughs) the fact he spent six months there. He was pumped up. Absolutely, he was pumped up. Uh, In terms of the difference between... Watford's performance against Liverpool and Watford's performance against Everton, they didn't have to play Liverpool this week, which makes a massive difference. Always helps. They didn't have to play Mo Salah. That helps. Um, I thought they were, they were energised. I thought they stretched Everton, which is very important. They didn't give up having conceded that goal to Richarlison. I thought that was very important. We saw some fight. I thought King wasn't just sharp in front of goal, but was happy to take on the centre-backs, happy to battle, happy to protect the ball. And it was a morale-boosting performance because Everton, I think, in in a lot of games this season, have looked good. I think they've looked good going forwards. The one thing that's really alarming, I think, for Rafa Benitez is that he prizes shape above everything. You know, on the training ground, he works for hours and hours and hours to make sure he will physically move players on the training ground, say, you have to be here, at this position, they were all over the place. I mean, I, I can't recall too many looser performances from a Rafa Benitez team. So he's got a lot to work on. But let's not forget Carlo Ancelotti, one of the great European coaches of recent times. How many home defeats did he suffer? So this is a group of players that still needs a lot of work and still needs to find some kind of consistency from week to week. He was booed as well, Rafa Benitez, when he took off Anthony Gordon by the Everton fans. Maybe cracks already appearing in that very fragile relationship. And when Kevin Hatchard uh, questions the great Benitez, this is someone (laughs) who regularly goes to bed wearing a Rafa waistcoat. I think he should be... Rafa tattoo. I think he should be (laughs) mightily alarmed. Uh, Let's get to Saturday night. Brighton and Hovarbin are on the up. Playing top flight football for a fifth consecutive season for the first time in their history. And playing good top flight football too. 
Gunduan accelerating over the halfway line has played it into the path of Gabriel Jesus now with a real chance turn goalwards and turn off the line somehow brilliantly by Lewis Dunk shot this time from Foden half blocked and Sanchez is able to get hands on it hook goalwards and in by Gunduan and Manchester City lead Bernardo Silva on the ball has slipped it into the path of Grealish he's got Foden up with him Grealish tries to poke it into Foden and Manchester City lead by two goals to nil one end of the field to the other in the blink of an eye Bernardo Silva squared to Gabriel Jesus just outside the penalty area clever footwork he's found Grealish now in a good position he forces a save Gabriel Jesus goalwards 3-0 Manchester City are unstoppable in this mood if Alexis McAllister can score from the spot 3-0 Manchester City lead Alexis McAllister's penalty it's good just Edison diving to his left got both hands on the ball but could only help it on its way Morris has got a chance to make it four for Manchester City Brighton eventually gifting the final goal of the evening Brighton won Manchester City four Brighton had only conceded two goals from open play all season. They were three down in little over half an hour um, on game day. It's been suggested to me, Matt Holland, that maybe Graham Potter was a bit too bold, a bit too ambitious, and dare dare we say it, maybe started to believe a bit of his own hype because he did seem to want to go toe-to-toe with Manchester City in the first half. That isn't a great idea, is it? (laughs) No, it's it's not. Uh, Look, Man City can do it to anybody. They are a fantastic team. And, you know, you're talking about front threes. Jesus, Grealish and Foden in particular, I thought were outstanding. You know, Foden in that that false nine role, he's getting better and better and better. He's, he's, um, he's looking like scoring every game. What did he do? Scored two, set up another. He, uh, he had eight shots on goal. I mean, he could easily have had a hat-trick. It's probably the one gripe, actually, about his performance that he didn't actually get a hat-trick because he he, he deserved one, his performance. Um, but, you know, ultimately, City can do that to, to anybody. You know, I don't care who you are. At times, maybe, you know, they maybe went man for man with City too often. And, you know, if you're comparing players, Man City got better players. And if you're going to go man for man with, with Man City, you're going to come off worst unfortunately and that's how how it panned out in the game but um, Phil Foden for me at the moment is just right at the top of his game it it just seems to me that in the second half the Brighton defenders just sat 10 yards deeper um, and it made it much more of an even contest it'll be really interesting to see what kind of tactics Graham Potter adopts when they go to Liverpool live on Talk Sport 2 next Saturday Brighton Uh, Kev Matt's mentioned a few of the stars of the show there Foden excellent again Grealish lively, thought Jesus did okay as well. And Bernardo, uh, one of the stars of the season, which I think is really impressive given the fact that Pep Guardiola publicly said he was looking to leave. I think he made no secret of the fact he wanted away as well, but he's knuckled down and become a really key player for the champions. Having said all that, should Raheem Sterling be a worried man? Missing out on a place in the squad due to a back injury by all accounts, but it's hard to see if you're picking Pep Guardiola's first choice 11, and I know he's a manager who likes to change his team on a regular basis, where Sterling fits in at the moment? Raheem needs to look at what Bernardo Silva has done and follow that example, because I think Bernardo Silva was frustrated that he wasn't necessarily 
a regular first team player. And he's really dug in. He was very strongly linked with the move to Atletico Madrid. That didn't happen. And it goes one or two ways after that. You either sulk uh, and you don't perform or you fight. And Bernardo Silva has fought. He's showed his quality. It's not just this season. He's shown his quality. He's shown it throughout his time at Manchester City. But that's what Raheem Sterling needs to do now. Because where is he going to go where he's going to get, you know, similar opportunities? Yes, you could go to Paris, but you're potentially swapping one bench for another. Where is he going to go in the Premier League? It's difficult to see him going anywhere that's not a step down. So he has to make a very big decision, I think, about where he wants to go. Does he want to be in a position to win more trophies? Or does he want to go somewhere that isn't going to be as competitive, but he is going to have a regular first-team place? Just going back to Manchester City's performance, I thought the second goal was one of my favourite goals of the season so far. The precision of the break, magnificent. The ball through to Grealish, inch perfect. And then Jack Grealish could easily have gone for goal himself, but he knows Foden's there. Perfect ball to him with the outside of the boot. I, I thought that was a terrific breakaway goal. It's what Manchester City are all about. Brighton, I've got no problem with the approach, actually, from Brighton. You play your football. And Graham Potts is very much that guy. They have a philosophy. They stick with it. I've got no issue with that at all. I think he may well do that with Liverpool as well. The problem is the execution. The goalkeeper was poor. They made defensive errors they wouldn't normally make. I think it's as simple as that. They were up against one of the best teams in Europe. So I wouldn't actually want him to change. I'm not sure he can change either. They play their football. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. No, I, th- I totally agree with that. I think that's a great point as well, because we've just been critical of, of Norwich and how they approach the game at Chelsea. You know, Brighton have a way of playing. Graham Potter has a way of playing. Stick to your principles and play your way. You, know, you live and die by it. And and just in terms of Raheem Sterling quickly, it, it, it really good point there, Kev, as well. It's, it's not, everyone says managers pick teams. Managers don't pick teams. Players pick teams. If you're performing and you're doing the job in week in, week out, in training, the manager sees that, they see your attitude, they see what you're doing and they see what you're doing on the pitch in, in the 90 minutes when you get the opportunity. And, it, and that's what it is opportunity because these squads now, 25-man squads, there's a lot of good players at these top sides and you're fighting for your place week in, week out. And if you're not doing it, you're going to be out and someone else will be in. It's not managers that pick teams. It's players that pick teams. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. 
There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Edouard though coming forward for Crystal Palace squares the ball in field Gallagher back to goal at the edge of the deep protecting the ball really well good skill stays on his feet as well and flicks it out left to Mitchell at the left hand corner of the box lofts the ball to the far post Benteke it's 1-0 to Crystal Palace Christian Benteke gets the header right this time at the far post he hit the post in the first half he hits the target in the second Newcastle United are behind in South London. Palace 1, Newcastle 0. Here comes the corner kick from Richard. Deep to the far post. Lascelles tries to get something on it. Hook goes! Brilliant goal! Callum Wilson! Oh, what an overhead kick from Callum Wilson. What an effort. Steered it right-footed. Pass Gaeta into the top corner. That's what great strikers do when teams are under pressure. Newcastle have been under pressure, but out of nothing, they get themselves level through Callum Wilson with a spectacular overhead kick after Palace couldn't clear the corner. Brilliant effort, it's 1-1. The whistle's gone, and Newcastle United have their first point under Graham Jones, their interim manager. They still haven't won in the Premier League but they've got themselves a precious point in South London and the draw specialists, Crystal Palace, strike again. Uh, our live and exclusive game on TalkSport 2 on Saturday was an intriguing one. Crystal Palace against Newcastle finished in a 1-1 draw. Wonderful goal from Callum Wilson. Terrific technique from him. But the big question, Matt, is should Crystal Palace have been out of sight by then? Christian Benteke could have scored five. Yeah, quite easily. Uh, they dominated, didn't they, Palace? 75% of the ball. Uh, four draws in a row, I think, now. And they've led in three of those games. So it's a, it's a, becoming a habit, really, for Patrick Vieira's men. I've been impressed. I mean, it, I think they're worse off at this stage than they were last season. But I've actually been really impressed with the, the job that he's done there, the, the squad that he's assembled and the way that they're playing. But they're not getting over the line. They're not getting those important three points often enough. Um, but I have enjoyed I have enjoyed their performances. Conor Gallagher in midfield. I'll tell you what they one of their biggest problems has been. He's been conceding goals from set pieces, and that's something they're going to have to try and sort out. Um, but but generally, I've enjoyed watching them, and I haven't said that about Palace for a while. In terms of, of Newcastle, Graham Jones in caretaker charge. We don't quite know for how long. He said it was a result that stopped the rot. I, I guess it did in, in terms of coming away with a draw, but they're still right in the relegation mire. As we sit here on Sunday night, Kev, Paolo Fonseca still seems to be the bookmaker's favourite. That goes against the information that Jim White had at Talk Sport earlier in the week. He was told that the next appointment would be an English manager with Premier League experience just to steady the ship until the end of the season, which probably led us towards the likes of Frank Lampard and Eddie Howe. If Fonseca does come in either now or maybe in the summer... Is he the right appointment? Because you look at Roma, didn't pull up too many trees, did he? No, he didn't. He had a deep run in the Europa League, which I think caught the eye. I think you look at his work with Shakhtar, was quite impressive. 
uh, you know, won a lot of trophies there. I know that they've been dominant in Ukraine, but did well in the Champions League as well at times. And I think he's the kind of coach that would improve players, that would play good football. I kind of get what people mean in terms of, do you want somebody who knows the league to steady the ship, etc.? But that feels to me like a bit of a waste of time in the sense that if you've got a good coach who can implement a way of playing and can actually improve players, then you want that guy now. That's the thing. You're not going to get a Conte now. That's not going to happen. You know, I don't think, unless he was given total control of the whole thing, I don't think that's something he'd be interested in. But this idea of maybe bringing in a Roy Hodgson for the rest of the season or Eddie Howe, I mean, look, Eddie Howe did a great job with Bournemouth. Nobody can take that away from him. I think he's a risk. If Fonseca's a risk, I think Eddie Howe's a risk because knowing the Premier League is not the be-all and end-all. I think a lot of the principles you apply in coaching are the same. And I think Paolo Fonseca is a good coach. The big allegation that was against him with Roma is that they didn't win the big matches uh, against the elite teams, but they did win a lot of the other games. And he's not going to be judged on taking on Liverpool or Chelsea. He's going to be judged on those other games, kind of mid-table and below. And I think he's a good coach that could win those games. I, I don't see how Eddie Howe is suddenly a panacea. And look, good Good coach, good manager, did well with Bournemouth, did wonderful things with Bournemouth. But for me, a risk, absolutely a risk. Whoever they, whoever they get in has got to find a structure because what they have got is a threat at the top end of the pitch. In Callum Wilson and Alan Sam Maximan, they've got two yeah. players who can win your matches. So if you if you can put a, a good structure in place where you're defensively harder to play against and you can get the ball to those two, you're going to have a chance. And, and ultimately, it's all about staying up this year for Newcastle. Staying in the Premier League is the, is the main priority. Yeah, and maybe defenders are easier to find in a, a January transfer window, say, than, than strikers. Um, we shall see. One of the other talking points from this game at Selhurst Park was a banner um, unveiled by the Crystal Palace fans, basically protesting uh, more at the Premier League, actually, for allowing that the Saudi takeover to go through. That is being investigated, uh, we understand, by the Met Police. A lot of people on social media suggesting that maybe this is a, an abuse of the freedom of speech. We will, of course, keep you updated uh, on Talk Sport as uh, more on that story evolves. So 1-1 between Palace and Newcastle. Good win, though, for West Ham on Sunday. They beat Tottenham by a goal to nil at London Stadium. I commentated this game for Talk Sport International. I was really disappointed with Spurs. I thought they basically set up for a draw. Uh, Ugo Lloris was getting flack from the West Ham fans for time-wasting even before half-time. It just felt very negative. And actually, if you look at their uh, expected goals and, and, and chance creation, they are in the bottom three in almost all the important attacking statistics. And it begs the question, Matt, if Jose Mourinho was still in charge and he was sending a team out to play like that, what sort of reaction would he be getting from the fans and from the media? Well, I think they play Man United next week. They might, they might want to call that El Sacchio because it could... It <laughs> Very could, good. Yeah, I've nicked that. I've nicked that off Danny Kelly. I saw it on Twitter. I thought, I'm going to use that because it was brilliant. Um, you, yeah, you've got Solskjaer and Nuno, I think, under a bit of pressure because we, we covered the game on Thursday in the Europa Conference League uh, where he changed all 11 players, wanted them fresh for this game against West Ham and then set them up as he did. 
And, you know, I, I was disappointed. Second half, I don't think they had a shot on target in the second half. Now that is ridiculous. And, and you know, I, look, well, I thought West Ham were worthy of it. David Moyes has talked them up, talked about he, he sees this team finishing in the top four. But that might be, a, a, I think, a, a tall ask. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but I thought they deserved it. Antonio, again, was, was outstanding. Likes playing against Spurs. And I think that's his sixth goal in the Premier League this season. Uh, but Spurs, I, I, crikey, I'm struggling. It's a long. It's going to be a long season for them. It's going to be a long season, and and you know, Kane still not still not quite at it. Still doesn't let me fault for the goal. Didn't didn't get tight enough to Antonio. Just as a, there's a feeling that he, you know, there's his body language isn't great. It was a it was a lackluster display. And considering they'd all had a break and had a, had the night off on Thursday, that was really disappointing from them. I make you right that. Uh... West Ham deserve to win. I think even the most ardent Tottenham fans w- would struggle to disagree with that. They show great team spirit. They show great character. They're a cohesive unit. I think Kurt Zuma has been a, a revelation since coming in. Jared Bowen is a, is a constant menace for now as he's playing well. And Antonio once again showing what a, a good goal poacher he is. Uh, every goal he's ever scored in the Premier League has been from inside uh, the penalty area. And we, we're talking more than 50 now. They're up to fourth, Kev. Could they stay there or is that too fanciful? Why not? I think this is a team that has structure. And this is a team that I've got to hold my hands up. I thought after his time at Manchester United, after his time at Real Sociedad, I thought David Moyes was a bit of a busted flush. I did. And he has shown he is a hell of a coach. There was a lot of investment in that West Ham squad, but they hadn't been able to unlock that potential. Nobody could say he hasn't got good players. He's got terrific players, but you need a coach to give them that structure and get the right balance between attack and defence. And it feels to me like West Ham have that. It helps if you've got Declan Rice, who's one of the informed defensive midfielders right now in European football. That helps. Helps to have Socek alongside him. But you have to give them a framework and look at the number of goals they score from set plays. That doesn't happen by accident. That is a coach working very, very hard with them on the training field getting those routines sorted out. Cresswell's delivery was fantastic, by the way, for the for the winning goal. Brilliant ball in. And he was he was up to his old tricks in midweek as well in the Europa League. The Europa League, I think, has really helped. And I think that's where Nuno's got it completely wrong. If you're in a European competition and you take it seriously and therefore you win games, I think that breeds confidence and you get into a rhythm. If you basically approach the Conference League and say, do you know what, I'll play the kids or I'll make 11 changes. It doesn't really matter if we lose. I think it breeds bad habits. I think it makes things disjointed. And generally, teams that don't take those European competitions seriously don't do as well domestically as they think they're going to. So I think Nuno has got that horribly wrong and he's done that a couple of times now. I think David Moyes' Moyes' approach to the Europa League has been perfect. David Moyes has changed the culture at West Ham. Yeah. He's totally changed the culture. This this now is a team of grafters. This is a team of workers. You know, you talk about that midfield, Declan Rice, he's everywhere. So check alongside him. Sue Fallot, right back. Jared Bowen's a grafter. He's up and down and never never gives anyone a minute's peace. Uh, He's been patient with Ben Rama and and Ben Rama's had to wait for his opportunity to get into the team because he wasn't doing what David Moyes wanted him to do. He wasn't willing to track back. He wasn't willing to, to get himself goal side 
all of a sudden Ben Rama's doing that. Antonio up top never stops running. This is a team that that are full of grafters and David Moyes has totally changed the culture at the club. Four games still to rattle through that start on Friday night. Arsenal, 3-1 winners against Aston Villa. I have to say I was really encouraged by Arsenal's performance. I thought Smith-Rowe was excellent, must be catching Gareth Southgate's eye now. I understand he is. The two, the two fullbacks, bearing in mind there was no Tierney, Tavares and Tomiyasu, excellent again. Aaron Ramsdale, he's better than you, uh, was the quip that Arsenal fans were aiming at Emi Martinez, who possibly was a bit too pumped up for his return to the Emirates. But a change of formation as well, or a change of system anyway, Kev, with Alex Lacazette playing in behind Aubameyang. It's been the big conundrum for a couple of Arsenal managers now. How do you get two top-class centre-forwards in the same team? Maybe Arteta has finally solved that conundrum. Maybe. And I think their work without the ball has been very important in recent games. I think the press, we've talked about pressing a lot on this show, but it is important. And I think they got it right here. I thought Villa were disappointing. I think there's no question about that. And they have to look at their defending at set plays because the opening goal is poor from their point of view. They were dreadful, obviously, against Wolves in that regard. But this was more encouraging. Smith Rowe's a great player to watch. I think when they play like that, with that high tempo and a bit of intensity, trying to play high up the pitch, they are great. But you look at the game against Palace that was just four days earlier, and it was dreadful. You know, they scored the early goal, sat off for the rest of the first half, were dominated for long spells in the second half by a good side in Palace, but a side with a long way to go. So, yes, performance against Villa was great, but four days earlier, not good enough by any stretch. So I look at this Arsenal team and still want to see if they can produce consistency, if they can maintain that kind of structure in midfield. I agree with you. I I wasn't sure about Ramsdale. He's played really well. And he's one of the few leaders in the team. He speaks up. He's got a bit of personality. He dominates his box way more than Bird Leno ever did. So I can understand that. So that's working out well. But I still think they're a team that is in transition. And for me, that transition has to move much more quickly if Mikel Arteta is going to get to where he wants to go to. Yeah, it's hard to work out exactly what stall Arsenal fall into now. They're clearly not top four contenders. They need to be uh, at least Europa League contenders. And I suppose in some ways it's the same for Aston Villa. We said it on the preview podcast on Thursday. You don't quite know what to expect from Villa this season. They were brilliant in a game I commentated early this season against Manchester United. They've blown Everton away, but equally they've they've lost at home to Watford. And they were poor. As good as Arsenal were, it was a really disappointing display from Villa. And given, Matt, that he spent quite a bit of money in the summer, I know it was counterbalanced by the sale of Jack Grealish. Will Dean Smith be coming under a bit of pressure with too many more performances like that? Well, it was an awful first half. Um, And... They've got, they have got a lot of talented players. I think it's difficult when you take out a Jack Grealish out of the team because he was so integral to everything, a lot of what Aston Villa did. And he got them up the pitch and he, and he drew fouls in forward positions, which you know, gave them the opportunity to score from set pieces because they're a big team as well, Aston Villa. And they've got a lot of talented players. The switch to a back three looked like it worked for a while. Now I'm not so sure. I think it might be time to go to, to back to a back four for them. Um, you know, when you've got 
Ings and Watkins up top, you should really, you know, you, you be doing better. I mean, Buendia, I, I felt last season was outstanding in, in the championship, hasn't quite stepped up to the level. Uh, Leon Bailey, you know, has, has had moments of real excitement. And I think when he gets fully fit, we'll, we'll see more from him as well. Uh, they've got good players. McGinn and Douglas Louise in midfield. I, I like both of them. Matty Cash at, at right wing back. I'm, I'm, it's a worry for Dean Smith because you look through his squad and they have got good players and yet they're not quite reaching the standards that they, they're capable of. So uh, maybe it's time to go back to a back four, I think, and and, and see how that goes. But um, I, I do worry for him a little bit because, because that's, I think, three defeats in a row now in the Premier League. Well, one team who are starting to meet their standards again are Leicester. Three successive victories in all competitions. Their fans had a really good afternoon out in West London, beat Brentford by two goals to one. James Madison uh, with a goal that will boost his confidence. Yuri Tillemans as well. Cracking finish from him, Kev. Uh, Leicester fans were, were singing Sign the Deal. He gave them a wry smile in response to that song. Is there a danger the longer that contract situation goes on that he could be poached by a top four club? Absolutely. Uh, I think he would fit into most top clubs. And it's taken a while for him. You know, when he was at Antelex, he was uh, the next big thing. He went to Monaco. It didn't work out for him. So he's had to go the long way around. But technically, he's exceptional. He really is. And he's become such an important player for that team. And I think, you know, if you dropped him into the Manchester United team, you could see him fitting in there. He's technically good enough to play Champions League, I believe. So, yeah, I I think the longer it goes without him signing, they are going to get a bit more nervous. Great week for Patson Daka, by the way. I'm really pleased for him because he's a super finisher. And we saw that in Moscow in that game against Spartak because he got all four goals and brilliant finishing from him. And I love the way that, despite the fact he was in that goal-scoring form, when he raced through for the winner, it was never on his mind that he was going to go for goal himself. He looked across at Madison, he knew he was there, and was happy to roll that ball to him for the winning goal. So it's been a great week for him after what was a a hit-and-miss start, and you'd expect that, you know, a, a new league, a much better league than he was used to playing in, a new football club, but great week for him. I'd like to have seen. I'd like to have seen James Madison go and pat him on the back before he sort of gave it the ears to the crowd. James Madison, yeah, he, he, he did all the work there, Pats and Dakar, put it on a plate for him. I mean, my first reaction there would have been to thank my teammate because he did all the work. All I all he had to do was tap it in from eight yards. But I think I guess that probably shows the frustration really of James Madison and where he's at and where he's been because it's a long time since he scored a goal. You know, he, he, I remember him a, a com, uh, an interview he did on the side of the pitch talking about how Jamie Carragher had spurred him on really to, to better things by saying he needs to up his numbers, score more goals, get more assists. And he did that for a period. And obviously that's fallen away in the last last sort of few months. His performances have fallen away. He's not been at a level that he, he you know, he's fallen out the England squad, all those things. So I guess there was a bit of frustration just coming out of James Madison. But my first reaction would have gone, thank my teammate because he did everything for him. What you're saying is you wanted him to leave some pats on Dakar. Wow. Wow. I think think there was a tumbleweed (laughs) there somewhere. (laughs) That's the level we're at now, is it? Okay. I I need I need to get my pleasures where I can on this uh that was that was matter face levels. I don't know if I take that as a compliment or not. Uh, Brentford in the bottom half now. They wouldn't be the first newly promoted team to start like a train 
and slowly fall away and actually have a difficult season. So we'll see uh, how the next few games go for them. I was at St Mary's on Saturday. I had no expectations at all from this game. Uh, Burnley can't score a goal. Southampton rarely win in 2021. It was a brilliant game, 2-2. Uh, Some fantastic strikes as well, not least the equaliser from Maxwell Cornet took his header for the first goal very well as well. But I want to talk to you, Matt, about Tino Livramento. I tweeted on Saturday night and said I haven't seen a more exciting 18-year-old for some time. I was told by the powers that be at Southampton when they signed Livramento from Chelsea for £5 million, albeit with a massive uh, buyback clause, He's the most exciting signing we've made since Virgil van Dijk. I thought, well, that's a big claim for, for someone I didn't know a particular amount about. I tell you what, though, he's proven them right, isn't he? He was, he was terrific, and he is terrific. He, he's brilliant. And, uh, you know, I love his attitude as well, because it would have been easy to stay at Chelsea. It would have been quite easy. I, I, we're at the, I'm at the European Champions. Um, you know, it's a nice club. I, I might get a chance. I might be sat on the bench, and I might get the odd game here and there. But he backed himself to go and play. And, and, and go and show what he can do. Uh, and I think that's important for him because, you know, what, what's the point in sitting on the bench at Chelsea for two, three seasons and not getting a game when you've got Cesar Azpilicueta and Rhys James ahead of you? You can't get into the team. You know, Tarek Lamptey had to go out and, and, and get a game at, at yeah. Brighton as well. So it's, um, it, it, I love the attitude of him to go out and play and, and, and show what he can do. And he, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I mean, might think he should have done a bit better for the first Courtney goal and got himself alongside him and, and done a bit better with that. But generally some of his football this, this season, I think has been excellent. Saw him, um, I saw him at St. Mary's already this year and, and just, I just love the way he plays. And, 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 you know, has said there's room for improvement. He said he can still get better. He can still make, you know, his final delivery can be better. His final pass, his final decision. He's 18 years of age. Of course he can improve. Of course he can get better and he will get better. And, um, Best bit of business Chelsea did was was get a buyback clause in him because they'll 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 want him in a few years, I'm sure. Yeah, it's around about forty million pounds, as I understand it. They can't activate it next summer. He also can't be signed by any other club for at least uh, two summer transfer windows either. But I guess if he's unfortunate, it's that he's a, a right fullback because England have got quite a few of those. But listen, I think he inevitably will force his way into England's plans. And I think he may well eventually now down that right back spot, which I know is a big claim. Uh, the final game we're going to look at is Leeds 1, Wolverhampton Wanderers 1. Still just the one win this season for Leeds. I guess the shining light for them, Kevin, was was a player actually when he came on. I thought, well, Kev's going to know all about him because he must be German, but he isn't. Uh, <laughs> Joe Gelhart. I mean, his home debuts go. That was quite the cameo from the 19-year-old. I thought he was terrific. Really positive, really skillful, wanting to affect the game. Sometimes you see young players come on and they want to play it safe. They want to not make mistakes. I thought he was really good committing players, won the penalty. And you need that. And I think that's going to go down really well with Marcelo Bielsa because he wants high energy. He wants guys who are going to make defenders uncomfortable. I thought it was really good finish to the game for Leeds. I thought it was necessary because we've said this before, Bielsa ball only works if everyone's 100% committed and if everyone sticks to the plan you're going to have spells where it isn't working. That's just a basic truth of having Marcelo Bielsa as your manager. But in the end, it will go right. And I I do believe that. I think if they stick with Bielsa, I think if a couple of the injuries clear up, 
I think they're going to be absolutely fine. Wolves, though, I have to say, even though they were pegged back really late on, I actually think Bruno Lage has done a super job. And I think if you look at the numbers, if you look at the XG, if you look at all of the data, they're playing good football and they should have more points than they have. Uh, and I think I'm really impressed with Hee-Chan Huang. Got to tell you, when he arrived at Leipzig, and as you guys know, I did a lot of Bundesliga football. We were very excited about that. We thought he was going to be great. But he got COVID and it hit him ever so hard. And I felt really sorry for him because you could see when he came back, A, he wasn't quite physically there. And B, he was so desperate to make the most of every chance that came his way in terms of playing time. Everything was rushed. Everything was snatched at. It just wasn't the real him. But he's done brilliantly since arriving at Wolves. And I'm so, so pleased for him. Should... Wolves have ended the game with 10 men, Matt. Rafinha uh, hobbling off. We're told his injury isn't as serious as maybe it first looked. The challenge from Roman Saiz, I'm amazed that VAR didn't intervene. Yeah, I am as well. I mean, we we saw one today, obviously, with Paul Pogba, where VAR got involved, told the referee to go and have a look. He had a look, quite rightly, came to the conclusion that it was a red card, and I felt that was the same as well. I thought he should... I, should, I thought it was a... Dangerous tackle, you know, he's, he left his leg high um, and hopefully that injury isn't serious to Rafinha because, again, he, he, lit, he lit up Ellen Road again. He's, he's a fabulous player, Rafinha. I love watching him play. Um, so hopefully that injury isn't too too severe, um, but absolutely. So he should have seen red. Yeah, I think uh, Wolves can count themselves fortunate, but I agree with Kev. I think actually Bruno Large quietly is is having a real impact on that team and they're actually good to watch, which they weren't under Nuno Espirito Santo last season. Uh, guys, that's all we've got time for tonight. Thanks for your company. Thank you, Kev, for not gloating too much um, about events at Old Trafford. I'll make up for it later. I'm sure you will. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Um, we'll be back with the preview podcast on Thursday myself. Sam Matterface, if he turns up, and Darren Lewis from the Daily Mirror as well. Do uh, download and subscribe, tell your friends, and we will see you on Thursday. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, We've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.